0: Welcome to Trappin' Radio. This is your host Clint Locklear. And we're going to cover a lot of topics today. We got some questions. I got something that just popped up in my head because I was doing a walk this morning and saw where Johnny Thorpe would get excited over a mink set. Uh, some stuff about the world we live in, and I think it's going to be a good, interesting show. Before we do though, I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about goals. Now we all hear about goals, we gotta set goals, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. You need to write it down. There is a plethora of motivational speakers that will talk about goals. But I want to put it in context for trapping just very quickly. If you're gonna set goals for next season, you need to do it realistically. And what do I mean by realistically? Think about what it is you want to do. Let's say you want to catch 75 coyotes and 150 raccoons. That is your goal. Okay, at that point, that's where most people leave the goal. I want to. Well, I want to. You know, you kind of like, I want to lose weight, but I want to keep eating pizza and ice cream. Yeah, then you really don't want to. But if you really want to catch 75 coyotes and 150 coon, or whatever your number is, and that's what you decide is your bigger goal, for one, make sure you've caught a coyote and a coon before. Make sure you've caught several coyotes and several coon before. Before you jump up on this number, but let's say that you have. Okay, we've got our goal, 75 coyotes, 150 coon. Where and what does that mean on how we set goals? Because the end thing, to me, is not really goal setting. That's kind of, you know, uh, I'm not going to use the word dreaming because you can you can definitely set it as a goal, but it, it's like the, the end product. Well, the end product is not how you reach the goal. Setting goals on how you reach a goal should be your goal. So what do I mean by this? So it's, it's, it's just turned May 2021. And we've got June, July, August, September. Some of you start trapping in October, some in November, some in December. So what does that mean to catch 75 coyotes and 150 coon if that is your goal? Well, do you have enough traps to catch that many? Do you have enough working traps to catch that many? Do you have enough stakes or drags or chain? Do you have enough lure and bait and urine? Do you have enough antifreeze? Do you have enough dry dirt? Do you have enough property? All these things are way more important than I'm going to catch a certain number because all these little bitty things That's how you catch that number. So how would you go about setting goals if you're going to look at it the way that I'm trying to explain to you? Well, then you'll get a piece of paper, and at the top you will put 75 coyotes and 150 raccoons. Okay. Then you need to realistically, not using Chinese math, Not using liberal feelings, not using any of that, but what strategically do you need to do to catch those animals? Well, if you're you're using snares, you got to have so many snares. How many is it? Do you need to make them? Do you need to buy them? Do you need to paint them? Do you need to dip them in full metal jacket? How are you going to stake them? How are you going to tie them off? all of those things just on a little bitty snare so what i would do on each one of those questions i'd write them down and then what's the number and what are you going to do so it's it's may and let's say that you're going to get some snares from funky trap tags and supply or f or Oki or wherever you're going to get them from well you need to go ahead and get them that way you can mark that off your list So when it comes close to season, you're not sitting there struggling trying to figure out where you're going to get your snares from because people get backed up, stuff gets lost in the mail, all the real-world things come into play. But your goals should really be the little things. And there should be a lot of goals to meet a number of catching animals. If you're going to catch 75 coats. How many realistic properties do you have to have? How big are the properties? What's the animal density, as close as you can tell from sign? Do you need 10 farms or do you need 20 or do you need 30? Is it a 55,000 acre ranch in Texas or is it a 200 acre farm in Pennsylvania? This is where you need to really focus on what do you need to do. And so if you know, okay, probably realistically, the farms are smaller. I can catch two to three coyotes off each farm. So I'm going to need so many farms. Well, now your real goal, the real one, is I've got to go get this many farms. Get your permissions. Mark it off the list. Are you trying to do it in a hurry because you you're work full-time? Maybe you need to think about pre-baiting or pre-setting. That could be a goal. Getting your baits and lures and urines and your antifreeze, all that. How much of that do you need? Have that sitting there because there's nothing more frustrating. Is you you you're, you're, you catch you struggle you catch you struggle you're on a big catch run you run out of bait you got to call it in it's got to come through the mail the way the postal service has been lately you can't count on the two or three days like you could two years ago so you need to have that lined up if you're catching Bobcats and it's really full moon you don't want to wait and get your stuff until it's dark. Because you're not going to catch as many cats. And the same thing on coyotes. They work better and darker. Well, you don't want to run out in the middle of the darkness and have to be on hold until you get the light of the moon. So break down whatever it is your goal is. But you need to have several, several, several actual steps in there. There's an old adage for someone that's going to be serious about something. We used it in the military all the time. One is none, two is one. And I guess you could say three is two. Four is three. So if you've got the income and you're really serious about this goal, you need to make sure that if you run over your sifter or you lose a sifter or you, you break up with your girlfriend and she smashes your windows with it and she breaks your sifter, That you've got a backup. Your digging hammer, your shovels. Someone that's going to be serious about a goal in trapping is going to at least have a backup on most things. Now you may not have a backup if you're running like a BT 45 steel auger like I use, but you may have a backup of having several batteries and an 18-volt cordless drill. What is the strategic and tactical ways you're going to reach that goal? And when you make that list, reaching the number is not as difficult as most people make it. The problem is people start the season with, I want to catch X amount of fur. And they haven't done all the stuff that they need. That's why when season starts, Lure businesses and trap supply dealers get crazy behind because no one's doing the goal setting up to that season. If you're using fish for bait for coon, well, you need to go get your fish. Don't try to do it in October when you start trapping first in November. Go in and get that knot completely out. And if you want to be, really uh, make you feel good about it, get you a whiteboard and put it in your fur shop or your shed or wherever you're doing it. Write down what your goal is at the top. 75 coyotes, 150 raccoons. Underneath that, you think of as many things as you have to do to make sure that happens underneath it. And keep that up. Don't take it down after the season, new, new. Because once you start the season, you're going to realize, oh, I should have done this. I wish I'd have done that. And then you can write a line or however it is you want, dot, 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 or a whole bunch of uh, uh, upside down smiley face emojis across that thing. So next year, as you come across stuff you should have done, you write it at the bottom of that whiteboard. So when you make the goal for the next year, those things you should have done this year but didn't because you didn't think about it, goes to the list of what you did and you thought about and you accomplished. And eventually, you're not going to have too many things that you should have done. But setting those goals, those little bitty stuff that nobody gets excited about, that's the details that allow you to win. So just kind of keep that in mind a little bit. Now, before we go any further, I want to thank our sponsors. I believe we have the best sponsors in the trapping industry. First is F&T Fur Harvesters, everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. And they got about all of it. Uh, Ralph and Sean have built a really good company. They've made some amazing products like the FB1 and the FB2 dog-proof trap, the ones that I use. Uh, they, they have other products. They have my stuff in there. They have Jeff's stuff. They have all the traps. They have about whatever you'd want. And you can order online. You can order on the phone. And they get it to you as fast as they can. So that's F&T Fur Harvesters. Next we have Oki Cable and Trap out of Oklahoma. He's also got a full trapping supply line. He's, uh, sometimes he buys fur, sometimes he sells meat, sometimes he has glands for sale, sometimes he may buy meat, buy glands, you just never know with Oki. But he's a really good guy to deal with. So if, if if you ever get a chance to deal with Jeb at Oki Cable and Trap, you need to at least go introduce yourself because he's somebody that you wanna have in your contact information. Next is Funky Trap Tags and Supplies. They're a full-blown trap supply dealer. They've got stuff for snares. They, they sell snares. They have stretchers and conibear setters, stuff for deer, hogs, and fish. They have baits and lures. They have really good predator calls. Just a, a good company. And they're another one of these companies that you'll want to be in contact with because if you, if you ever get to know Alan you're gonna realize he's really one of the good guys. And if you've ever dealt with somebody that's not really one of the good guys, you'll appreciate working with good guys. Next is Dunlap Lures. Uh, Jeff is a good friend of mine. I, just, I think I should always say that. Uh, I mean, I'm friends with Ralph and Sean and Alan. Jeff is, uh, you know, we've been friends for a long time. We're both lure makers. We're not competitive with each other. Uh, We actually help each other out sometimes. Uh, We talk strategies. We do all kinds of stuff. He makes good lure. He makes quality lure. He also makes really cool t-shirts. And if you want some really cool trapping t-shirts, just look up Dunlap Lures, and I'm sure it's .com, Online and you'll see all the ones that he has Now he's got uh, somebody he's been working with Sarah Gomez and She is uh, coming out with stuff for just girls Again uh, Talk to Jeff he can get you in the right direction on this you may find that there's some pretty cool stuff there, too But that's Dunlap lures now me and Jeff hold a school, a trapping school for predators, in September in Iowa. It's two days. We put you up. We feed you. We talk trapping. We talk strategies. We tell stories. We, we get into locations. We get into <coughs> really in-depth stuff as far as uh, what's, what we thinks going on with the couch, we're going to give you all of our experience. Everything that we can do. Now, it's your, it's your job, if you're going to come to the school, to absorb as much as that as possible. So you don't need to be shy. We want to help you any way that we can in the trapping game. The only thing we're not going to do is talk about lures and baits as far as how to make them that's the only thing really that's off topic if you want to talk to me about adc or business with trapping revenue streams (coughs) anything like that it's all open there we may do that more in the evening than during the day because we're really hustling during the day going from site to site where we have the school is an amazing place because we're going to be in little fields in the woods, we're going to be in the woods, we're going to be roads going through the woods, we're going to be in big agriculture fields, we're going to be in big open fields, more flat land, more up up and down hilly land. It is amazing place to have the school. That's part of the reason we're having it here. So you can go to wolfernation.com, look at my store, the PCG store, look under Business course and schools. You'll get all the information, everything you'll need to bring. The dates, um, the money, all that type of stuff is covered in that. But if you're really wanting to up your game, and you're really wanting to bypass several years of learning things a little bit by little bit, you need to come to our school because that's who we want as students. Guys are going to be out there just crushing it with the new information. So we're going to start, I had a question come in, Um, and this one's on coyotes, and this is from Ethan, I appreciate you talking about that on Trapping Radio, I did another one of his questions. Guys, if you've got questions, email me those at Clint at WolferNation, and if I can, or if I feel comfortable uh, going over it, I definitely will. I listened to it earlier. It means a lot coming from somebody's well known in the trapping industry. This year was my first season to really trap live market in the South. I'm not going to mention the state. Ended up with three cats, seven grays, one red, 18 coyotes. I was interested in the carcass set and trapped 2,000 acres this year. Took six coyotes of it in three weeks but I know there was twice that many left. I'm sure it seemed then after a week or two, they got slick to what I what was going on. I have confidence in flat sets, dirt holes, and urine sets, but I'm looking for something they hadn't seen or stepped in, which would be the buried bait set. We had a show a couple of shows back on that. One thing I did learn that I believe will pick up numbers after a catch. I was resetting the same trap back, and yeah, I did catch. Some doing that. About 90% of these traps after a catch got dug up. So um, I'm swapping to quick links and putting a clean trap each time from now on. I believe this will help a ton, but I want to get those catch numbers up. Dude, for the first year of really trapping and catching 18 coyotes, 3 cats, 7 grays, and a red, that's, that's pretty damn good. Uh, that's better than I did when I started. So, But I want to talk about this at the end, about the catch circles. Everybody has different ideas. And what I'm getting ready to tell you is my opinion. If you think something different, rock on with what you're doing. If you think what you're doing is better, rock on with what you're doing. Um, I've been trapping cows for quite a while. And... I've tried a ton of different things. And remakes are a pain in the butt unless you live in a place that's real sandy and somewhat dry. If you've got clay and gumbo and stuff that's gonna turn to mud and you got wet ground and you catch an animal, it makes a mess. Now, in certain, you get out on the coast of North Carolina, or you get up in parts of Maryland and Delaware, and you know some of the the big sand blows up in Michigan, or maybe you know out in the, the West where it's it's drier. This may not be as big as a concern, but the majority of the listeners and the majority of trappers in this country trap in places that a remake is a muddy mess, if not the first time. It will be the second time. You get a lot of odor inside of that circle. They're peeing, they're sweating, they're slobbering, they're crapping. Um, I think they put off a different odor when they start when they they start fighting something. It's uh, it's more of an alarm personally. Now, after I said all that, can you catch coyotes in a set that you've already caught a coyote on a stake? Absolutely. I've done it. Ethan, you've done it. You watch videos, you hear different things, so it's obvious that a lot of other people do it. I know trappers that think that that makes the set better, but what I've noticed with remakes is there's not really too many good systems in place to deal with the mud and the slop and the water and the blood and the poop and and all that other type stuff. There's, it's more of a haphazard. Okay, we're going to put a ridge and we're going to pop a hole in the front of it and put a trap out in front of it. Or we're going to try to make another dirt hole. We're going to try to turn it into a a T-bone set where it's not natural anymore. I've seen about every single way that you can do a catch circle, and I've tried most of them. Now, if we're talking red fox, I want to be back in the circle. If we're talking coyotes, I don't really like it because coyote trapping is hard enough as it is to consistently take numbers. If it wasn't as many coyotes there are in the east, we should be catching them the way they catch fox in Maryland. But we don't, do we? They're not fox. They're not house dogs. They have a tremendous survival instinct when something seems off and a, a burn circle with a coyote with all that odor and they probably have seen that coyote the night before acting like a crazy person there's a good chance they're going to be very wary of that at least a good percentage of coyotes like I said I have caught many coyotes back in the cur- the, the catch circle I believe I've missed way more coyotes putting the trap back in the catch circle. Now, Ethan, you're talking about changing the trap out to a new one. I'm not going to talk you out of that. I just don't think it's necessary. And here's the reason why. If you're going to have a burn circle, say you've got a, or whatever your trap is, it's on a stake, whether rebar or disposable. All that odor is in there. If you use the dirt that's inside that circle to make the remake, which you're pretty much going to be forced to, it doesn't make any difference if the trap's got that smell because it all has that smell. Now you may run into an issue with some coyotes. If you put back the set and you go out of the circle and you come in with very clean dirt, and it's very unnatural looking, and the color's different, and the texture's different, and all that. It may come across as a very sweet spot that a coyote may not trust. But changing it out because of the odor, if that's the reason you're doing it, brother, I'm not sure that's really necessary. But if it, but I will say this if it makes you have more confidence, then you need to do it. Just like. If you if you feel you need to wear rubber boots and rubber gloves to set the trap, I don't think it's necessary, but if it makes you feel better and have more confidence in it, I think you need to do it. I do believe that a set put in with confidence catches one that's not put in with confidence, even though a couch should not be able to tell a difference. It seems to matter. So if you feel good about it, do it. The way that I handle catch circles. Now the majority of time now I use drags. Very rarely do I have a catch circle where the set is anymore. It can happen. It can get caught up in a weird weird stump or root or something like that. But the catch circle now is spread out over 20 feet. So it's not so concentrated in such a a small area, because most people that run in stakes use it off a stock chain. So it's very concentrated. When I use a drag most time the count is caught up, not right at the set. So I just go back, I can right where the peat moss and everything was in, I can set the trap right back in the hole, I don't have to re-lure, I don't have to do anything over it. I blend in or cover up the set, whatever the set was and I go on down the road. So drags has completely taken for the most part catching coyotes in a catch circle or not out of my personal equation. It's One of the reasons I love them, the drags. Now, if I'm in a situation that I feel like I need to stake, this is what I'm going to do is if I catch a coyote and it makes a, a four or five foot circle, it's all tore up, it's muddy, it's it's really strong odor. Um, depending on how you're dispatching, it can have blood in there. So you've got a lot of stimulus going on. What I've noticed over the years in, in places that has ground that you can track stuff, a lot of coyotes will come up It looks, let me, me rephrase this. It seems like a majority of the coyotes will come up to those and circle it, but not all of them will go into it. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's not like they know there's nothing there now jumping in a trap and acting crazy. They don't, under, they don't have the brains to, to comprehend that someone got up out of bed, put a trap in the ground to catch them with a metal device that holds them like a handcuff. That, that is, like I believe, way out of the realm of what a coyote can figure out. But it's a whole hell of a lot of stimulus in one small area. And that's very unnatural to a coyote. But they will circle it. So if I'm staking, I'm trying to think of the guy's name that I got this from uh, years ago. It's an old Wolfer's book. Oh man, I can see his face. Maybe it'll come to me in a minute because I didn't come up with this on my own. I learned this and tried this from somebody else. What he showed one time for doing a remake is you've got the burn circle. He just leaves the trap in there. He leaves it for one think about what that's doing that's kind of an odd object now they don't know that it's a trap they just know it's kind of odd and it's sitting on top of the ground and they've got all that odor then what he did is he went right outside of the circle within 612 inches of where the circle is and he would put in a flat set. As the coyote comes up to the catch circle and he starts circling that thing, he's gonna be in the perfect position to work that other set. Now, I don't want a lot of visual. If you're gonna use a T-bone, you just want a little bitty smidgen of it showing with some lure smells. I'd feel better with a flat set. You could do a dirt hole. But I wouldn't do something that I wouldn't do like a great big badger hole or something. I would do the re-rod, little bitty hole thing. Something that is a lot less in their face. So as they're just cruising around the circle trying to figure it out, now there's something outside of that circle that's interesting. And when I started doing that back when, before I got into drags the way that I am now, that made a tremendous difference to me on remakes. Yes, it is another trap, and yes, it is another set. But let's say you've got 10 coyotes in the area, and five of them come up to that catch circle. How many are going to go into the catch circle? I don't know. Almost all of them are going to circle the catch circle. So I feel like I have better odds with more reward by setting that trap, more like a blended set, 6 to 12 inches outside of that circle somewhere, wherever it's the most convenient. I think you're going to do better if you do that than you will worrying about and monkeying with inside of the catch circle. I've watched countless videos over the years and I've seen how everybody does their remakes. And most of them, let me put it like this, they would never make an original set like they make their remake set. So the theory behind the remake set is not good enough for the original set. But since it's all destroyed, that's kind of like the best they can come up with. Some of them have, you know, two trenches and you try to get them walk in between with some lure. I mean, I've seen all kind of different things. But it's not the way you start an original set to catch a coyote. It's kind of like a sloppy seconds way to catch a coyote. But if you move right outside of that into fresh dirt with a new trap, with a new odor that's not super loud, not a lot of eye appeal, I think you're gonna have a better shot at catching the coyote, or catching more coyotes. I would go as far as to say you will probably see a 50% increase in catch at catch circles if you do this. And that's a big statement for codes. I've never kept logs on this, so it's not like I've got numbers, just the huge difference it made for me, I bet it'll make for you. And that's that's what I would do just leave the trap alone in there you can pull them both at the same time now if you catch another animal you're gonna have two circles that's really close to each other that's okay move outside that second one put in a third trap you know your own location keep the odds as high as you can in your favor and if you catch a third one put a four set in just keep it rolling until nothing happens or you gotta pull and leave. Do that and I think you're really gonna start liking catch circles because it's a it's a good attractant to get them there but it's not always the best attractant to get them inside of there. Now the next question I had was if I would talk about beaver dam break sets. And the way that I've been beaver trapping last 10 years, this isn't something I've really thought that much about. I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't do a whole lot of beaver control. To be honest, I haven't done any beaver control in years. Not enough where I've got to start dealing with uh, breaking dams and stuff like that. I may go places and they want to catch some beaver while I'm catching coyotes and that's cool, but it's not like I go somewhere and I'm strictly doing beaver work. So, I haven't done this in probably 10 years. That's just not what I do anymore. Not not the same. Now, if I got back into beaver control, it'd be a very common thing that I would do. Now, before we get into the, the beaver set where you break the dam and get them to come there, first thing that I want to... Um, reiterates what I'm trying to what I keep wanting to say but that's not it what I want to enforce I guess is that's not the first thing you do when you go to a piece of property with beaver it's kind of like it's not the first thing you do is to go slam 330's inside of a you know the entrances to a beaver house you can catch beaver really quick, but the game's pretty much over for a while after you do that. The the doing that with a breakdown, there's two things to think about. One, you're showing your hand really easy and really quick when before you do that, try to catch the beaver like we we we've, we've covered this many times. When I first go into a place to catch beaver, I don't use any lure. I try to blind set with a foothold, a snare, or a body grip everything that I can without disturbing anything. I just want to catch all the easy ones with the easy places first. Then I'll go into lure. And then at the very end I'll go into putting holes in front of the house. Or a beaver breakdown set. Now it's even more important when you do this on a beaver breakdown set because you can screw yourself later if you keep this thing going for several days. Depending on how big the body of water is that the beaver have backed up and how much current's refilling that water, when you start dropping the water in a beaver dam, all of a sudden some sets that were really easy to catch beaver aren't even practical anymore. So you're changing the environment when you use this set. Sometimes it can make things easier, most of the times it makes things harder because as the water drops anything you've got for you know blocking for snares and body grips it becomes more wide open it's more exposed Um, beavers have a lot even like on slides now they got a whole lot bigger range of area to go up a slide depending on current because there's nothing there so you can actually hurt yourself by dropping the water so if I was going to do a beaver job the last thing I want the landowner to do is rip out a beaver dam because now the beavers gonna have to figure out what they're gonna be doing they don't have any habits in place at this point uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna be figuring out how to catch them as they figure out how to work this new environment that they found themselves in. So it's just harder on the trapper. But once I get to the point of putting in a beaver breakdown set, there's a couple of ways to do it. Um, I'm not gonna say mine is better, but I can definitely say mine is better for me. I've used all different kind of ways. The first way that I learned to do this set was strictly out of a Charles Dobbins video where he he breaks a dam, he gets the trap pretty deep and back and he puts a big stick in front of it. And the theory is as the beaver, because when you break a dam, the beaver is going to go underwater, he's going to collect mud and he's going to try to push it up in that hole and plug the hole. So the theory was that the beaver's pushing, and if you just got a trap open on the mud in front of the break, you're going to have a rough time because the beaver's going to push the mud completely over the trap. He's going to push the trap into the beaver dam. It's not going to be set up right to catch him. A lot of different things like that. So, you but the, the putting a good size stick, I mean, like two or three inch stick, you cut it off, you drive it, you put your jaw up against it. In theory, the beaver comes up, he knocks his noggin on the stick, he's got the mud in his hands, he's got to step over that because he can't push through it. Now, he hadn't moved your trap, and your trap's in a good location, and you catch him. I've caught a lot of beaver the way Charles Dobbins taught that. But I would say, and again, I didn't. this isn't something I kept any logs on. But I would say for me personally, it was probably a 60% failure rate of them still plugging up the trap. Now maybe I wasn't doing it right. Maybe watching him in his video, I didn't get it. Maybe watching uh, uh, Paul and them show this, I still don't get it. I think I got it. I understand the principle of it. But I was still having a lot of problems with traps being fired off. Now, I wanna back up a little bit. And I've seen this, oh my gosh, so many times. And if I see this, I know I'm dealing with a very inexperienced beaver trapper. And if you do this, And after what I just said, you get your feelings hurt, please don't. Because sooner or later you're gonna come to the same conclusion that Charles Dobbins did, and I did, and a lot of other full-time beaver trappers did. If you break a hole in a dam and you just set a 330 in front of it, every now and then you will catch a beaver. But you're gonna have more headaches and more misses and more fire traps you can shake a stick at. If you just put a foothole in front of that thing and it's got two or three inches over it, the beaver is just gonna keep filling it and pushing it up in the beaver dam. Now the problem is, I think with inexperienced trappers is they catch one or two, they remember that and they think that's the way to go. And they ignore all the problems afterwards. So, what you never wanna do is just knock a hole in a beaver dam and stick a 330 in front of it. And what you never want to do, same with a snare, and you don't want to put a foothold just right there in front of it, you're asking for trouble because the habits of the beaver, that is not a conducive set. It's just not. So, the way that I learned after lots of headaches, so much frustration, so many snap traps, so many traps covered in mud. So many traps pushed up into the dam. Is the is just the way that I learned it. So I'm going to explain this to you. For this to work, you need to have enough water behind the dam that this will at least continue working for a day or two. So when I knock a hole in a dam... I want it to be about ten inches wide, at minimum. And I want that thing to be a foot and a half deep. But when I break a hole in that dam, I'm very picky of where I break the dam at. I want it to be a mud shelf, The normally the way that's going to be behind the dam, the way the beavers push it up, not a whole lot of sticks I've got to deal with. And when I tear that out, I want water moving through that hole. Not trickling, not dribbling, moving. So if, you dry, if you're if you making this thing and you're on the, the deep water side of the dam and your hat falls off, as soon as it hits the water, the water grabs your hat and shoots it through the hole. That's what I'm talking about. I want moving water through that hole. There's a reason for that. If you make a small hole, three, four inches wide, two, three inches deep, one, by the time the beaver come out and play at night, the water could have dropped enough because you didn't make a big enough hole and no longer do you have a break in the dam. They may or may not want to mess with that, especially if you're dealing with older beaver. Two, if you've got a small hole, and it's not a lot of water running through there, it takes very little mud and sticks and leaves to plug it up. So you don't have a lot of activity at the dam break set. Follow what I'm saying? But if you've got something that's 10 or 12 inches wide and a foot and a half, two foot deep, and you've got a lot of water behind it, it's rolling that water out. Now. Number one is, if they just go up there and push some mud, just like your hat shooting out the other side, that's what the mud does. Just pushing mud up there is not gonna fix that hole. It's a breach. So you got the beaver gonna have to come back several times. And another thing about a beaver is they're very buoyant very buoyant and if they step directly in front of the breach that's moving water they're going to have a hard time controlling what their body does as they're trying to collect mud and push it up there and what they do push up there is just going to float through and then they're going to actually be pushed up against the beaver dam for the most part even a big beaver a beaver is very smart in the way that they fix stuff. The very first time they're going to try it by just pushing mud up through there. It's not going to work. Their little beaver brains are going to kick in and go, okay, we've got to build some structure. So where do I put my traps? So I've got a, a 10 to 12 inch gap. I've got a foot and a half to two foot deep and I've got a breach. Just like the water coming into that Titanic, it's moving. Well, off the sides of that dam, you only give the beaver really four places to work on the breach. They can work right on the edge of the breach where the channel starts going straight down on that shelf where the water's at, or they can get up on top of the dam and try to shove sticks from the top of the dam into the breach so it can hold enough mud to stop the breach. So you 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 force the beaver in one or two places. The majority of the beaver are going to want to stay in the water somewhat as they work on that. But you will see when you use this set, if you go back and there's a bunch of sticks that's shoved in, it looks like from the top, like straight down into the trench, You got a beaver that's actually on top of the beaver dam. That's okay. We can catch him too. But I always start with a trap. So I want you to picture this in your mind. I want you to mentally draw a straight line. That's the top of the dam. And I want you to cut the trench out of the dam. Now where that trench comes straight up and now you've got mud and that stuff's flowing in there you've got an eddy right up against the beaver dam that's calm and a beaver can start working on stuff from right there. That's where I want the trap. So when I make a beaver breaks, a beaver dam break set, I use two traps. The trap placement can be in three inches of water, six inches of water, ten inches of water, whatever the natural water is. But you gotta think as you're pulling water out of that the water's going to get more shallow. I like going a little bit deeper because in four or five hours it won't be as deep. So right on top of that shelf I'll take my boot and I will put my foot down and I'll kind of do like a little uh, circular jig to even make it go down in the mud further and I'll put at the time. I was using more uh, number five Bridger long springs and number five Bridger coal springs. This was before the era of the TS85s, and I did use some Minnesota uh, six not six seven fifties, good traps. And I may have had some set, some uh, CDRs that I just used for beaver, but I don't remember. But I know I used the Bridgers and the Minnesotas, all worked great. So I'm going to make a bowl where that trap is going to be out enough that when the water drops there's still going to be water over the trap. So what the beaver is now going to do is he's going to have he's going to go up with mud and realize the mud doesn't work. He's going to have to go get sticks and try to shove it in there to slow down the water so the mud and leaves can fill it up. So when a beaver has got something in his mouth because that's how they carry the sticks is in their mouth now they got four little feet well they got two little feet and two big feet that's the reason I like using bigger traps when he goes up to the, the dam breach set now it has to be on the side of the trench because it's very uncomfortable in the trench with the water shoving him through there so he's gonna be on one side or the other I don't know which side it's gonna be so I'll put a trap on each side They're foothold traps, and I would use a slide rod, and I would just run that off into deep water. So the beaver comes up. He can't fix it with mud. He's got to go back. He brings up some sticks. He's got it in his mouth. He's coming up. He's going to be rearing up and down, pushing the sticks in there. He's going to be all over that trap because that's really the only place the beaver can be and still work on the hole. That's how I set those traps. I cover it in great detail in my Art of Professional Beaver Control DVD and uh, my Beaver Blitzkrieg book because that set made me a ton of money when I was doing ADC work for Beaver because that was a lot of times how to catch the last couple of beaver was when you started screwing in their water. I would catch all the other beaver it was in that colony in different ways and then I'd go rely on this one that's how I do it now I'm going to tell you another way to do this on small water <clears throat> you need to check your regulations on what you can or cannot do with this so on a lot of smaller creeks you can't put that big of a hole in there or you'll just drain it in like 30 minutes so that's not going to work now the habit of the beaver is to go down into the mud and push the mud up to the hole and it may not be straight on but it's going to be somewhere towards the front of that And they can push a lot of mud. So on smaller water, this is how I figured out how to do it. And I'm not sure if it's in the videos or the books, but I'm going to try to explain this the best I can. Now, keep in mind, this is on smaller water. Now, you can probably get away with this with uh, the big uh, 12 by 16 Minnesota Trapline body grips, if you can find some of those. I don't know if they're still making them. It's not the best with the the you know just the ten by sixteen because what you need is the height. I was using the twelve by ten uh, Savage traps, and I would run into some trouble sometimes because they were just a little bit too small. So I want you to think the bank going up to the beaver dam is going to be on an angle because that's how the dam is made. They bring mud and sediment out of the bottom and they push it up like a bulldozer. So it goes from the deepest point on an angle up to the dam. And that's how they just keep pushing up and pushing up. If you put a small hole in that, you can take a body grip trap. Move that about a foot and a foot and a half on the deep water side down the slope and then i'm going to take that trap depending on the the water depth and i'm not going to have it straight up and down i'm going to have the top angling back towards the deeper water so the trap itself is really completely perpendicular to the bottom of the mud on that angle going up to the the small dam on the small creek and then i'm going to take something and make a dive pole over that pretty something substantial. Not a little bitty one-inch stick. I'm gonna move something in that's gonna make him dive. And he's gonna see the hole, he knows he's gotta dive. He's gonna go down and he's gonna get mud. Now when he goes down, the bottom of the trap is actually where he goes down is set further back because it's the angle of the mud. So in your mind, think about a 45-degree angle, put your hand that way, and then put your trap where it's going to be completely perpendicular with that, straight up and down. Not to the, the top of the, you know, the ceiling, but straight up and down where the bottom is. So it's actually, the bottom's going to be closer to the dam, the top's going to be closer to the deep water. I stabilize that. I put the the bigger dive stick, I like using something that's five or six inches. I put that just in front of that, that top jaw that's further towards the deep water. And on those small creeks, there's not a lot of wiggle room for the beaver to do a whole lot of get very creative on how they're gonna fix this thing. So they just go to the bottom and they start pushing. Now they're gonna have mud and stuff in the bottom. You want your triggers on top and bent so they can actually push the mud where it's about halfway open trap on the bottom because they're gonna have a wad of that stuff in front of them but they're not gonna be able to get their whole body through there so it's gonna be the triggers gonna come straight down and go out or you can bend the back at an angle whatever you want to do doesn't matter but I don't want them going I don't want them coming from the bottom of the trap and I don't want them to go towards the bottom of the trap where they're just straight. I wanna have an open spot down there. So when on these small beaver dams, the beaver's gonna go in, he's gonna get his mud, he's gonna start going up the slope. The trap is the same angle as the slope, so he's gonna be inside of the trap deeper with the mud when the trap goes off. Do you follow what I'm saying? and you can slam them. This gets more fun with a 12 by 16 Minnesota trap because you have a lot more variance on what the beaver's going to do. Every now and then, the beaver will hit the outside of the trap if he's coming at a weird angle and fire the trap off. Believe it or not, that doesn't seem to spook them as bad because it's not going to bite them. It's just going to be a racket going on, it's slower in the water, and it doesn't seem to really spook them. Some I'm sure it could if they've been screwed with a lot in the past. But most of the time, especially if you can go with a bigger trap and it's legal, it's just a dead beaver. You can do it with 330s, but the smaller you make that hole on a set where they're pushing mud, the more trouble you can be in. I, I go as big as I can get. Using a snare like this, the mud's gonna fire the snare off. Using a foothole like this, the beaver's just gonna cover up the trap in mud or push it up into the beaver dam. But by having that jaw where where he's you know he's already gonna be inside of that trap probably four or inches depending on how steep the slope is going up to that thing before he even gets close to the triggers so he's well into the kill area by the time that thing goes off it's just a a different way of solving a problem on a smaller creek where you can't put such a big hole in there Could you do it on bigger creeks? Yes. Have I done it? Yes. Do you have more uh, aggravation? Yes. Because they come from all different angles the more wide open it is. But you know which direction they're going to be coming if they're bringing mud to the dam and that's going to be straight up towards it. And I'm talking smaller creeks so i think we'll finish there but that is uh well i want to talk about a couple of things before we go that aren't trapping related but that is my version of a beaver breakdown set two different ways now one thing i want you all to think about um I, the only reason i'm saying this is because i don't want people to get hurt Right now, if you bought a house for $200,000, you can probably sell it for $270,000 and you can make $70,000. But the issue is, you got to go buy another house and your $75,000 is just going to get ate up in the same profit that you got on the other one. We're back in a housing bubble just like 2008. Except it's worse because there's other characteristics involved with this, guys, that we didn't have in 2008. We're actually, the last numbers that I checked, which was a couple of weeks ago, 17% higher in the bubble than we were in 2008. Housing prices have went nuts. How long are they going to stay that way? I don't know. I think this time it's going to stay that way a little bit longer because of what's going on with other parts of the country. People are leaving California, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, you know, places that's had all of these riots all summer long, and believe it or not, they're still having them. People look around and go, this ain't a way to live. They're getting higher taxed in that area. The police aren't doing as much because the police don't know what they can or cannot do anymore. So they're moving out of all these places and coming everywhere else. And it's made a, a really sharp bubble in prices. And everybody wants to think that houses always go up. Well, if you're at the top of the bubble and you buy a house at the top of the bubble. I want you to think back to 2008. Because you could be sitting on a $300,000 house that's only worth $200,000 in a, in a stable market. And then you have all the foreclosures. And all this stuff starts happening. So just be aware of what's going on. If you're going to make a move, make it very smart. Yes you can get a bigger house now because the interest rates for the same money is a lot less it's almost free they've got them so low not quite but close compared to everything else in my lifetime so what you could buy with for a three hundred thousand dollar house with interest rates of nine percent or six percent now they're two at point three percent you can now buy instead of a $300,000 house a $400,000 house but if it's in the bubble you're taking on more risk so just think about what you're doing as you're buying and selling homes if you're doing that and if you go to buy a house because a realtor comes up and goes we can sell this and you can make a $100,000 profit you need to be aware That everything else you buy is going to be that much more expensive, too. So did you really gain anything? You could. You could move to a better area. You could move more rural. You can move somewhere where there's water or woods. Just be aware of it. Now, the other thing that's not getting a lot of traction on the news that's really scary is Biden and all of his cronies... Are starting to leak that the IRS is gonna start watching everyone's bank account so what this means for them to do this they're not gonna have a little nerdy guy sitting at a computer Uh, Tim if Tim wants to jump in on this explain how they would do this he would probably know more than me but what they're talking about doing is they're they're thinking people aren't paying their fair share of tax because they're spending money like drunken sailors that's never been in port and never seen a girl before. They're spending it by the trillions. Like every other week there's a new tree and the two tree in here. And they're getting to the point where they can't even make up the lie that it can be repaid. So they're looking around and the way liberals always think is, well, if we get more taxes, we can we can give more stuff away. So what the administration is talking about doing, and I don't even know if they have to have a law for this, is they're gonna plug the IRS into everyone's bank accounts. And the only way I can see to do this is with an algorithm of some kind that's gonna make a history, and anything abnormal is gonna be flagged, it's gonna send it to another algorithm, it's probably gonna look at stuff, and then maybe some little nerdy guy is going to look at it and I'm gonna give you an example why this is so dangerous let's say that I make $50,000 a year and I get paid or I have a business and I'm paying myself and I'm putting this stuff in the bank account well when we move from Dunlap to here before we had all of the 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 money and the the contracts and all that stuff done we sold our house which there's no tax on that because it was a residence we're moving that money into this residence we sold another house which was the lure shop which we had to pay tax on and i sold a 12 acre permaculture farm so from an algorithm's point of view You're sitting there, and it's pretty much stable, 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 bam. Now, there's a couple hundred thousand dollars in my account all of a sudden. Now, when it's in the account, it's not marked. This is from Clint's house. This is from Clint's shop, and this is from Clint's farm. The algorithm is going to go anomaly, red flag it, and send it somewhere else. Now, the scary part about what the lady said for the Biden administration is when the IRS sees this anomaly, they can make the judgment call whether you've paid taxes on that or not. And if they say not, they just take it out of your account. I mean, we're getting in some weirdo shit. Nazi stuff here. What if you get an inheritance? What if you get a big bonus at work? What if you have uh, your your granddad's 1969 Roadrunner that was in the barn, and you put twenty five thousand dollars into it, and it's now worth a hundred and forty, and you sell it, and you put that in your bank account, and you get flagged by the IRS? See, they're not coming to ask you what the money is. They're going to take the money, and then you're going to have to prove to somebody, the big faceless organization of the IRS, that you are going to do the right thing and pay the taxes on the money. this is getting insane so if you put money in the bank like see I didn't know about this and everything's worked out because we put all that money into this house that money is no longer in our bank accounts but if you're going to put sums of money into your account whether it be an inheritance a bonus you sell a car, you sell some land, sell a boat, start a second income, and now all of a sudden there's, you know, now there's an extra 10000 a month going into your bank account, and it's just not normal. You better keep some serious freaking records on that money. Where it came from where you got it from what the date was what it was for everything because you can just it's say you got 30000 in your bank account and you go to check your balance and it's got 10000 and you get a letter going the IRS took it what are you going to do? Because what the lady said was not, we're going to give you a chance on the next tax form, which is the way taxes are done yearly, to do the taxes and then we'll look at it. But if there's sums of money that go in there and you're not paying taxes on them because you haven't had a chance yet, the IRS is going to pull that out because it's all digital currency anyway. I don't think we have any idea how wackadoodle our world's getting in America. Basically, they're just going to start seizing money. And you're going to have lawyers with unlimited budgets doing everything they can to keep it. So just saying, well, I just got that from inheritance. You need to have paperwork on top of paperwork on top of paperwork. You need to be able to track that money from when you got it from a check to where it was deposited in the account. Everything. The other thing that they're doing, guys, which is insanity, is they're trying to figure out how to tax people unrealized gains so let me give you an example of this we're in a housing bubble you have a house that you got a loan for for two hundred thousand well you're in a housing bubble you can now sell that house for two hundred and eighty five thousand so to the government's way of looking at this they're going to tax you on the $85,000 you have not received as capital gains, which is the highest tax brackets you're going to be in. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're doing your thing, you're paying your bills, you're, you're running your business, you're going to your job, you're doing this, that, and the other, and you get a bill. Where it's showing you made $85,000 that you didn't get. But now you're going to pay 30% tax on that? Do you have that? They don't care. They'll make more money when they foreclose on you and put it on the market anyway. They don't give a damn about you or your family. Now, let me show you how this is going to be ramped up to where it's... it's, it's If they start doing this, I don't know how we survive. you got a 401k. Inside of that 401k, you're not taxed until you pull it out at age 62 or 5 or 7 or whatever it is that you do it. You start pulling that out. You started when you were 19 years old. You've put in as much money as you can If you're at a company that matches you, they put in money. You got the stock market now at a high. And you've been doing this for 30 years. Now, you may have actually put in 50,000. Say your company matches that at 50,000. And it's grown to 250000 because of compound interest and all that stuff. Do you know what your tax is going to be on? Everything above what you put in. You didn't put in the matching money from your company. And you've never paid taxes on the gains, even on the, the, the months where you bought stocks high because you're putting in a 401k are low, it's not going to matter. They're going to look and go, they've put in 50,000, they've got 250,000. So their unrealized tax is 200,000. You got to pay taxes at capital gain rates on that 200,000. Do you have that money? We're probably 90% of America the answer to that is no and you're thinking well that's crazy how can you own a house like that that's the point you need to look up something called the New Deal No, I'm sorry the Great Reset New Deal is FDR the Great Reset Do some research on that. Biden's behind it. Build back better. That's the motto of the Great Reset. Kerry has come out and said they're going to move on that faster than anything. One of the things in there is they don't think that individuals should hold property. And if you charge people for unrealized tax, nobody's going to have enough money to live and pay that and still have property sooner or later guys we're going to have to wake up and stand up or we're all going to be in government housing and we're all going to be doing crap we don't want to do because someone's going to tell us what we can or cannot do That's the world we live in right now. That's what they're bringing to the floor. That's what the Democrats want to do. That's what Biden wants to do. Because they have to destroy America's economy and destroy personal ownership. Or we're never going to be like China, and that's their goal. Them and us. The Chinese government and the peeps. I'm not even sure this country's got enough guts to stand up. I'm not even sure there's enough men in this country to stand up anymore. As long as we got Netflix and pizza, they've already shown that we'll do whatever we tell whatever they tell us to do from the COVID-19 virus, that we ain't going to stand up for crap. Just be ready. Be mindful. And try to stay ahead of this crazy game the best you can. And I'll talk to you all next week.